So I just wanted to briefly introduce my wife to our spiritual family. If you don't know her, this is my wife, Hannah Stevens. Hello. We have served on staff together here since we got married in 2007, formerly IHOP Atlanta, now Gate City Church. (laughs) Yes. And uh, thank you for that affirmation. I appreciate that. And so I just want to take a moment and say something about this woman of God. She has incredible intelligence. She is a capable and strong leader. She is God's greatest gift to me. And the biggest reason I wanted to introduce her this morning, which she really doesn't need any introduction more than what I've shared. Many of us know her from her having taught before on our, in our platform uh, on Wednesday nights. Uh, she'll be teaching this week and next week and also helping with our Wednesday communion. But the thing that's exciting is that she just graduated and received a master's degree in spiritual formation and direction. I just wanted to acknowledge your incredible hard work. Two years this woman has has worked tirelessly to complete this degree amidst raising our four children. And I'm just so proud of you. And I believe that you are going to bring an incredible word to us this morning, one that comes from the heart of who you are as a person. And so I just want to take a moment. She's going to pray, but I want to pray for her and invite you to just stretch your hand out towards her. Father, we thank you for Hannah. And we ask that you would release the word of the Lord through her, God. We ask that you'd let her speak as an oracle this morning. And I pray, Lord, we open our hearts right now. We know that she has a word formed in her. I know she has a word formed in her for us. But I, I just ask God for myself and for our spiritual family that our hearts would be open to how the Spirit of the Lord would minister through her. We bless her, Lord, and we ask God, let us receive everything you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Hazen. I like that guy. <laughs> I don't know how many points you just got then, but you got some, so. (laughs) Well, I'm so excited about the opportunity to share with you guys today. Um, I'll be sharing, as Hazen mentioned, this week and next week into our sermon series, Cry Out. And it feels so significant and special to get to you on today, May 7th, the beginning of our fast. So the topic of Israel is something that is near and dear to my heart. Um, It's something I've given some study and attention to. And I regularly teach the interns the foundations class on Israel every track. Besides that, it's something I have a personal connection with. Um, My father is Jewish. He's of Jewish ethnicity. And my mother is Gentile. So I stand before you one new man. So So my father came to believe in Messiah Jesus when he was a young man around the age of 30 He has an incredible, incredible salvation testimony, and I may share next week about it. I'm not going to today, but um, for me, that's been an incredible part of my history. Growing up with Jewish blood and having Jewish relatives has always been such a precious gift to me. Um, It's formed the rhythms of my own spirituality and the holidays and the festivals that we celebrate as a family to this day. Um, The magnetic words on the fridge, you know, where you make sentences. In my parents' house, they're in Yiddish. And so that's always fun when we go home for the holidays. I'm making it so it says, like, I like bagels and things like that, which is (laughs) another thing about me. I am genetically predisposed to, like, bagels and locks. And everything bagels are my Achilles heel. I just, you know, so send one my way and you'll have a friend for life. So... (laughs) But we shouldn't talk about bagels because today starts the fast. So So I really pray that the message I share today will plumb line us on God's heart for Israel. 
and provoke us to go deep into being willing to feel God's heart for his beloved people. And it was just striking me during worship today that we are, we are entering into the Global Bridegroom Fast, and as friends of the bridegroom, we're going to look at God's bridegroom heart for Israel today. And what an honor it is to be as a friend of Jesus, to feel with him his emotions for his beloved people, Israel. Do you all want to experience that with me today? Yeah, awesome. So my one request for you during this time is that you would be willing to open your hearts to be impacted by the scriptures that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures and kind of throughout the, as Dustin mentioned, mentioned it, is part of, it is the meta-narrative. It ties the Old Testament to the New, the overall story. It is God's pursuit of a people for his possession and that he can give himself to. So one of my philosophies of the scripture is that I want to let the scriptures lead us. I don't want us to pick some points from scripture and use it to build, build up a point that I'm trying to make. That's not what I'm here for today. I believe the scripture is living and active. I believe the Holy Spirit resides in the spoken word as we read the scriptures together. So are you willing to encounter the scriptures with me? I want to receive what God's heart is saying through the living word as we do it. So sometimes when the scriptures come up on the screen, read them with me. Even if it helps you open your hands and receive, I believe God, I have faith that God is going to release his heart for Israel just as we and open our hearts to receive what the scriptures have to say. Are you guys in, with, in for that with me? Awesome. All right. So with that, let's pray and we'll jump in. Also, I am faithful to my notes. I like my notes. They're my gift to you. I worked very hard on them. And so if you want to follow along with me, if you're a note follower, go ahead and scan the QR code on the seat back pocket in front of you, and you'll be able to follow along with me if you would like. So with that, let's pray. We're here to receive from you, Lord. We're not just here for another message. We're here for the living revelation of Jesus to be in our midst. We ask, Lord, for the spirit of prophecy through your scriptures, Lord, that it will be more than words. We invite you, Holy Spirit. We submit to you. We submit to your teaching. We submit to your heart. We submit to the scriptures as they're presented today. We pray, God, that we would come away with a deeper revelation of the way you feel about your people, about your bride, Israel. In your holy name, Lord, we pray. Amen. So why Israel? So Israel matters to us because Israel matters to God. It is through his devoted love and commitment to the people of Israel over thousands of years that God reveals to all of mankind his incredible, never-ending faithfulness. So how do you know what's true about a person? You watch them. You see where they devote their time. You see where they put their money. You hear what they talk about. But more importantly, you watch what they do. Sometimes will people tell you with their mouths one thing, what's important to them, but then when you watch them, what they do actually aligns with something differently. 
But when we look at God as revealed in the scriptures, we see a triune being who is radically obsessed with a people that he has chosen. His words in scripture, his actions towards people, everything about him reveals his committed and lovesick heart. And what God does reveals to us who he is, his nature. So God is always going to remain faithful and true to himself. As such, it is not possible for God to not be faithful. So Billy touched on this last week in his Isaiah 62 message. And when he read the scripture in Romans 11:29, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. There is no way that Israel can evade God, what God has for them. There is absolutely nothing they can do to avoid God's zealous love that is coming for them. I love the amplified version of that scripture in Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. It says, he never withdraws them when, um, this is the gifts, he never withdraws them once they are given. He does not change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace or to whom he sends his call. We're going to read together now this quote by A.W. Tozer. It's going to come up on the screen. It's a little bit long, but um, A.W. Tozer, in describing this attribute of God, his faithfulness, this is the plumb line that anchors God's commitment to Israel. It says, God, being who he is, he cannot cease to be what he is. And being what he is, he cannot be out of character with himself. He is at once faithful and immutable, so all of his words and acts must be and must remain faithful. Men become unfaithful out of desire, fear, weakness, loss of interest, or because of some strong influence from without. Obviously, none of those forces can affect God in any way. He is his own reason for all he is and does. He cannot be compelled from without, but ever speaks and acts from within himself by his own sovereign will as it pleases him. He is his own reason for all he says and does. If he says Israel, I'm saying Israel. <laughs> so God's faithfulness, this immutable character, once he says it, nothing can reverse it, nothing can change it. His faithfulness is most clearly revealed biblically in his eternal commitment to the nation of Israel. So if you doubt your, God's faithfulness in your own life, you only need to take one look at the way God is faithful to Israel throughout history, throughout the scriptures. When you take a look at the scriptures in their entirety, Israel is not a side issue, y'all. Israel is the issue. From beginning to end, God is pursuing a people of his own possession. God is looking for a people that he can give himself to as their exceedingly great reward. In Genesis 15, 1, we're going to look at this scripture a little bit later too. When he appears to Abraham, he says, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now, it would be one thing if God just saved us from eternal torment and separation from him. 
that in itself would be an incredible gift. And it would be another thing if God delivered, just not only saved us, but he also delivered us from the oppression of sin in our lives and gave us freedom and victory over the things that have oppressed us. That in itself, that's an amazing thing. But God didn't stop there. He wants to give himself to a people as their exceedingly great reward. Beloved, the best thing about salvation isn't that we're set free. It isn't that the powers of darkness have no hold on us. It's we get God as our inheritance. We get God as our inheritance. This is what he made us for. Adam and Eve in the garden, walking in the cool of the day. God wants to give himself to a people. Point two, the more we understand God's heart for Israel, the more we will understand God himself. When we love someone, we want to know them, right? We want to understand the things that they love. God loves Israel. So I have a funny example about this. Um, Hazen and I are pretty different. You're over there talking to someone. Listen to me. <laughs> oh, he, he said he felt a story about himself coming. Well, it's coming. <laughs> so Hazen and I are quite different, but and especially early in our relationship, um, we were learning a lot about each other. I'm like, oh, you like that? That's weird. I mean, interesting. Let me learn more about that. And I was like, because I love Hazen, I want to love the things that he loves. I want to at least, you know, understand it. In like manner, Hazen loves me, and he wants to understand the things I love. So I have a funny example for each. So I have a wonderful love of caves. Are there any other spelunkers out there? Anyone who likes to go caving? Anybody? Oh, yes, we got some people in the room. Caves are amazing. I love just putting on your, your wetsuit and going deep into the dark and crawling on your belly into these ca caverns that suddenly open up. And I've gotten to do some caving in New Zealand and other places in the world, and it's like an amazing thing. So two years ago, Hazen and I got to go on an anniversary trip to Sedona, Arizona. And the first thing I did was look up what are the best caves in the area. And I found this cave. I found this hike I wanted to do. And I was like, all right, we're doing this, Hazen. We're going to go to this cave. And Hazen doesn't have a particular fondness or affection for caves, but he loves me, and he, loves, he wants to do, the, do this experience with me. So the cave we were going to do had only a small parking lot at the trailhead, only enough room for 14 cars. The parking lot opened at 8, and people were saying, if you don't get a spot in the parking lot, you're not going to be able to hike to this cave, and it's a really popular hike. So I told Hazen, I was like, we are... Parking lot opens at 8. We're getting there at 6 a.m. <laughs> to wait in line for the parking lot to open. <laughs> and Hazen was like, I think we could do it at 7 and we'll still be okay. But I think we compromised at like 6.30. So we, we got to the parking lot before the parking lot opens, y'all. And there's already like 10 cars in line. And I'm like counting the cars. 
I'm like, okay, we're car number 11. Unless something happens, we should be one of the 14 cars to get to park, to get to do the hike to this cave. And as we waited in line, and finally they opened the parking lot, and we start moving in, I just buckle over, and I just start weeping. I am so excited to see this cave. And as we're hiking to the cave, I'm just like, I have a picture of it, but I didn't, I'm not going to share this one with you. But it's like tears streaming down my face as I'm hiking because I'm like so excited to see this cave. And Hayes is just there with me. But I have a picture of the cave we went to just because I told this whole story. So this is the cave. It's Soldier's Pass Cave in Arizona. It was amazing. And um, we found, we got to discover and explore this cave together. And Hazel was my companion. Does Hazel love caves? No. But does he love me? Yes. And does he love caves now more than he did? Absolutely, he does. Because <laughs> um, an example going the other way is when I met Hazen, he was a vegetarian. And I love me some dried meats, some bacon, some steak. So I meet this person and we enter into this relationship. And he's like, I'm a vegetarian. I have been for five years. So I was like, oh, okay, so... Well, let's give this a try. So I went vegetarian for a year, and I was like, I want to love the things he loves. I want to understand it from his perspective, from his world. And so we were vegetarian together for about a year, and then thankfully decided to move on from that lifestyle, and I, I did not have any problem with that. So <laughs> all of that to say, if we want to understand God, if we want to be a friend of God, Let's love the things that he loves. So God is faithful to Israel, but he also is a burning bridegroom. Point C. God's faithfulness to Israel comes out of his own choice and his own initiative, but just as importantly, it comes out of his burning and passionate heart. Throughout the scriptures, God is using romantic and tender imagery in his description and his thoughts towards his chosen people. When you read the intensity of his thoughts as revealed by the prophets, I think it's safe to say that we underestimate God's zeal and his passionate love for Israel. God is not like us. Our highest thoughts about faithfulness, our highest thoughts about love, they fall so utterly short of those values as revealed through God. Y'all want to look at some scriptures together about God's heart? Okay. Zechariah 8.2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. The jealousy that God feels for Israel is not a human jealousy. It's the passion of a lover or a husband mixed with love, care, and anger in the highest degrees for their beloved against all that is hurtful to them. Whether it's the sin within them or the enemies that come against them, God loves Israel. He jealously burns for them. Isaiah 54, verse 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. 
He is called the God of the whole earth. The God of the whole earth has set his affections on a people. God is filled with burning, jealous love of a bridegroom for Israel. He wants them to be his and his alone. Deuteronomy 14.2 For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. He's chosen them. Will they receive him? The answer is going to be yes. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's coming. That's why we're here. That's why we're praying. That's why we're fasting. The bridegroom will have his bride, even if the whole earth must be shaken. He will do whatever it takes, whether provoking Israel through little broken vessels like us, walking in the freedom of the cross or through the end time judgments that are coming, he will do whatever it takes to have Israel for his possession. Point four, for all of God's pursuit of the nation of Israel, they have been wayward. They have sought the affections of others and not devoted themselves to God. Now these verses are just so that we're going to look at, we're going to read these three together, not out loud together, but just receive them together. They're so full of the passionate heart of God. And I just believe that we can taste that together as we open our hearts to receive them. In Jeremiah 3.1, it says, They say if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, May he never, may he return to her again? Would not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers, yet return to me, says the Lord. Jeremiah 3.14, the Lord says, Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord. For I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Romans 10, 21. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And when he says all day long, we're talking about thousands of years arms extended, God offering himself to a people. And he will not stop until Israel is his possession. Point six, God will do whatever it takes to win Israel's heart, whether by provoking them through jealousy or shaking the earth with end time judgments until they exclaim, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus' earthly ministry, when he was approaching Jerusalem, he stood on the walls and the scripture says he looks over the land and his heart breaks because the people he came for 
Some received him, but the majority rejected God in the flesh who had come to be their Messiah and Savior. And he utters this lament in Luke chapter 13. Let's read it together. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate, and I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The yearning heart of Jesus in the scripture. Like a rejected suitor, Jesus laments and he grieves. He does not relish in the judgment that's coming to Israel, but he longs to be a source of protection and covering for them, but they did not want him. How many human lovers would have given up? If we had a friend pursuing a person the way God has pursued Israel, we would have counseled them, give it up already. She doesn't want you. She's going to issue a restraining order. Like, you need to give some space here. Like, read the signs here. But God's not like that, y'all. He is chosen and he will not stop. His love is a burning and jealous love. It's a burning love. Do we know that love? Have we felt it with him? Are we willing to lament with Jesus on the wall? Are we willing to look with him for that day when they, Israel will finally say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? That day's coming. It's prophesied in Zechariah 12. Let's look at it. Verse 10. It says, I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as a firstborn son who has died. At Jesus' second coming, every eye will see him. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And they're going to know it's been Jesus all along. But he's not angry at me. His devoted, burning love is the same as it was since the day he called forth Abraham. All he ever wanted was a people. That's all he ever wanted. So, so far we've looked at God's faithfulness, its unchanging faithfulness, and his choice of Israel that will not be shaken. And we've tasted a little bit through these scriptures of his zealous bridegroom heart. Y'all, this is just scratching the surface. Scripture after scripture after scripture. God sending his prophets. Calling Israel to himself. Love story, love letter after love letter in the scriptures. It's everywhere. Let's go deep in the scriptures these next 21 days. 
Let's feel God's heart with him. So his faithfulness and his burning love, these two things gloriously come together around the idea of covenant. So he demonstrates his faithfulness and his zealous love in the context of covenant. It's one thing to be faithful without love. That's just the worst kind of marriage ever, right? But it would be another thing to be loving without the faithfulness. You need both, right? God is fully loving and fully faithful. He cannot stop being either because they are who he is. The faithful love of God is covenantal love. And that's the title of this message today, the covenantal God's covenantal love. So we most often hear the language of covenant around the idea of marriage in today's day. And we're actually leaving directly from the service today to drive up to North Georgia for our good friend's wedding. John and Paxton are getting married today. And I'm so excited to go watch them as they make their covenantal vows to one another in front of a a group of witnesses. And a, a marriage covenant is such a beautiful thing. It's a sacred promise. It's a binding promise. And it is a covenant in and of itself. But it's also a powerful thing because it is representative. It's a metaphor of God's covenantal love to his people. So a covenant, what is a covenant? It's a binding agreement. It's a legal contract. It's a seal between two or more parties. So in the biblical sense, the word covenant actually is derived from the Hebrew word to cut. This means that in the culture of the Bible, the covenant carried weight and was often cut or sealed in blood, which we're going to look at. So in the scriptures, you see the language of covenant running throughout. And there are seven key covenants that God makes from beginning to end that weave and thread and bring the whole narrative of the Bible together. Um, so there's, when we talk about covenant, I want to talk through really briefly, just like an overarching way, the first four of those seven today, and then next week we'll talk about the final three and share some other things. Does that sound good with you? Okay, so when we look at covenant, covenants can be either general, which means they apply to all people, all humanity across time, or they can be specific. They can be for a specific person or a people group. Covenants can also be unconditional, which means the covenant is made, nothing can ever change it or reverse it. Or they can be conditional, which means the compliance of both parties is required in in order for that covenant to be held true. Y'all following with me here? All right, so we're going to briefly look at the first four covenants. And this is important to do because this, this is where it becomes real. This is like through history we see God's faithfulness, his zealous love for Israel, and it's revealed through this covenantal love. So the first covenant we're going to look at is called the Adamic Covenant. And this is actually, um, this is pre-Israel, right, as a nation. We're looking back to the first created individuals, and God makes a covenant with Adam after the fall. And it's a general covenant because in it we see it's not like predates the existence of Israel. So the promise he makes is actually for all mankind. In Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the snake, actually. Um, Between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
So in this covenant, we see God's declaration to save all created order from the enemies of sin and death. This covenant reveals the kindness of God and his mercy to destroy our enemies and to establish mankind in complete victory. Amen. The Adamic covenant. We thank you, Lord. The next covenant we see in scriptures is the Noahic covenant, which is again a general covenant, and it's unconditional. God makes it, and he's the one, it's just in a one-sided way, God will hold true to the covenant that he makes. And the Noahic covenant is God's declaration to show mercy by never again committing to cover the earth in judgment that destroys every living creature, no matter how wicked or corrupt they become. He said, I'm in it till the end this time. I'm going to hang with you guys no matter how wicked because of my mercy. God declares to Noah that he will find a way to show mercy, even if it seems there's no possible way to do so. So that's the second covenant. We have the Adamic covenant, the Noah covenant. Those are both general covenants and unconditional God's intent to save mankind and show mercy. Then we move into the third covenant of Scripture, the Abrahamic covenant. And this is when God picks, of all the people of the earth, a specific man. What was special about him? Nothing. (laughs) God picked him. Made with Abraham, who stood for Israel, and the Abrahamic covenant is God's declaration to save all of the families of the earth through the bloodline of one family. All of the peoples of the earth would be judged based on their relationship with this one family, as they are the key for God's plan to restore and redeem all of humankind. And this is when we see God, when he appears to Abraham, he begins with this. He said, do not be afraid, for I am your exceedingly great reward. It is so striking that God initiates this covenant with his intention by offering himself, I'm going to give you all of me, Abraham. This reveals the value that God places on his people, that he would give himself to them. So in the covenant that God makes with Abraham in Genesis 15, he declares a couple of things. He says, I'm going to give you this land. It was the land of Canaan, but it's going to be the land of Israel. From the Nile to the Euphrates, he said, all of it's going to belong to you and your descendants. The other thing he says to Abraham, he said, I'm going to bring forth a desire, from a Messiah from your family line that's going to bless the nations. And then he says, look at the stars. That's, that's going to be the number of your descendants. So incredible. Abraham hears these promises and he's like, yes, let it be. And then he's like, but how do I know this is really going to happen? I don't even have a child. <laughs> and at this question, God initiates the covenant. And it's found in Genesis 15. And I'm just going to talk us through it. Does that sound good? Y'all can study it. It is in the notes. So in those days of Abraham, when you made a covenant, you got a bunch of animals and you split them in two and you basically made a a aisle of animals where you put half the animal's body on one side, half on the other. And then the two people in the covenant, they would stand side by side and they would walk through this aisle with the animals split on either side. And what they're basically saying in the covenant 
in this covenantal agreement between these two parties is, may God do to me what has happened to these animals if I break this covenant. It's a very serious thing to make a covenant. But God makes a covenant with Abraham. He tells Abraham to set the stage. So Abraham splits all those specific animals in two, and then he waits. He waits for the presence of God to come. But at the point of this special covenant ceremony, when Abraham and God should be walking down the aisle together, God puts Abram in a deep sleep. And then God appears as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, and he alone walks down the aisle. This makes God's covenant, guaranteeing Abraham's future and the future of his descendants, fully based, fully in God's hands alone. He knew Abraham would not be able to fulfill his part of a covenant. We're human, we're broken. He's human and broken. So God alone bound himself to the covenant. Later on, God would change Abraham's name and give him the sign of the covenant, circumcision. Abraham's future and the future of his children and family were fully in the hands of God. I love this story. It gives us such hope for our own spiritual journeys. It reminds me of the scripture in Psalm 103, verse 14. It says, he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. God knows we can't do it. God knows Israel can't do it. Even the most zealous-hearted people in the scriptures, even David, couldn't do it. He knows that. And it's his initiative, it's his choice and his commitment that carries us and that allows us to enter in. It's incredible. So we've had the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, and we're going to end today looking at the Mosaic covenant. So this was made with Moses over 400 years after he made the covenant with Abraham. And Moses, again, represents specifically the nation of Israel. This covenant is God's declaration that man needs to be saved. And he gave the law to Israel as a, um, to function as a tutor, to reveal to us and to Israel that no one can do it, that in and of ourselves, we aren't sufficient to fulfill the demands of the law. The law reveals how holy God is and how far mankind is from that holiness. It says in Exodus 19, it says, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. We again see God initiating this covenant with love. He's like, I want you to be mine my treasured people, kingdom of priests. Only hearts that loved and feared and served the Lord would be able to carry out the requirements of the law given in the Mosaic Covenant. Israel didn't have what it took by their own self-effort to follow God in such a way, but they didn't recognize this. They actually said, all that you've said to do, we will do. How many times are we like that? 
God's whole purpose of the law was to lovingly point out to them their inability to live according to the standard he had set. Also knowing that one was coming who would live the law perfectly. Not just live it, but fulfill it and liberate us. Also something that happened on the mountaintop that, that day was God revealed his name to Moses, his unchanging nature. It says in Exodus 34, the, he, come, he comes and passes by Moses on the mountain and he says, this is who I am, know me. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions for thousands, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So the one thing I want to pull out of the scripture when God reveals himself to Moses is he uses a word that doesn't really have an English equivalent. The, the word for loving kindness, full of loving kindness, is the Hebrew word kesed. Kesed can be defined as faithful love in action. God's loving kindness that was extended to Israel is that sure love that will not let Israel go. Not all of Israel's persistent waywardness would ever destroy it. Though Israel is faithless, God remains faithful still. Kesed is that covenantal love between God and Israel. Here's two other scriptures that use that, and they're going to come up on the screen. We'll read them together. Nehemiah 9.16. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. This is what Israel did. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in kesed, in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Isaiah 54, verse 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing kesed will not be shaken nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. So we have the opportunity these next 21 days to step into knowing God's heart for Israel in a deeper way. I want to be a friend of the bridegroom. I want to love what God loves. I want to weep with him for his people. I want to prophesy and proclaim the day when all of Israel will be saved. Will we feel the burnings in Christ's heart for his people? Will we mourn with him over lost Jerusalem who has chosen our own way and not yet received Jesus as Messiah? Will we cry out for his people to be saved? We cannot pray for what we we cannot pray for what we do not love. So as we come to an end of our time today, my invitation for you all is, do you want to love what he loves? If you all stand with me.
you've gotten a bigger taste today of, of how God feels, if you feel that tremble, those burning eyes of fire of God for his bride, if you want to know that more, I just want to invite you to respond. And you're welcome to come up to the altar. You're welcome just to put your hands out before you. But I want to pray for us that God would give us a greater revelation of his love for Israel these next 21 days. So if you'd like to receive prayer for that, please come up to the altar now and we'll make space to pray. Lord, we want to love the things that you love, God. We want to be a friend of the bridegroom. Thank you that your love is not a heart like ours, Lord, that it's faithful. Thank you for your love that is not like human love. It's burning, it's zealous, it's committed, it's devoted to the very end. To the very end, you have loved your people Israel, God. We want to feel your heart, Lord. We want to grow in a deeper understanding of your heart for Israel. Lord, these next 21 days, Lord, we, we offer ourselves to you. Fill us with your zeal, God, for Israel. Fill us with the burnings of your heart for your people, Lord. Would you grip us, Lord, with your emotions? Would you show us the big story at work, God? Would you show us the part we can play as watchmen on the wall in this hour? Release your heart, God. Give us your heart for Israel, Lord, in Jesus' name.